And this isn't about some internal need Paul feels to be right. It's about Paul's love for Christ and the Galatians. And that's going to show up in a particularly powerful way here in chapter 5. And getting the gospel wrong doesn't just show up in the way we think. It also affects the way we live. And in our text this morning, we'll see Paul, one, put a cap on his doctrinal instruction. Uh, The last two and a half chapters have been very heavy doctrine, very heavy gospel clarification. So we'll see him put a cap on that. We'll see him call out the Judaizers in the most, in his most harsh way yet. And we'll see him transition from doctrinal instruction to practical instruction. He says this, beginning in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, when Paul talks about freedom, he's talking about sonship. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul said, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And here's the contrast here. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's contrasting the only two ways someone can seek to know God, the only two approaches someone can take to God. We can try to earn his favor as slaves, which doesn't work, or we can rest in his favor as sons. Now contrast the difference in mentality. No matter how hard a slave works, he will never get the inheritance, ever. Why? 
Because slaves don't get the inheritance. The inheritance is for sons. And sons don't work for their inheritance. In fact, earning favor isn't something that even comes to the mind of a son. They don't think about that. Sons have favor because of their birth, because of who their father is. So Paul is saying, don't go back to being slaves. Enjoy the freedom you have as sons of God. In verses 2 through 6, Paul reminds the Galatians that justification by faith in Christ means we are free from bondage to the law. As you know, Paul spent the last two and a half chapters making that case. In chapter 3, he argued that point from the law. In chapter 4, he argued from an allegory. Now in Galatians 5, 2 through 6, he puts a sharp point, a cap on his argument, and he does so with crystal clarity. And that's helpful because we've seen some challenging passages in Galatians. Indeed, there are challenging passages in the Bible. Remember chapter 3, verse 19? That's where Paul says that the law was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now raise your hand if it's immediately clear what he meant by that. Right, I mean, that, 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 that takes a little digging. Um, and so what do we do with passages like those? Well, we do a couple of things. We keep reading, one, um, but we let clear passages instruct us. Crystal clear passages are like the bumpers in a bowling alley that keep us out of the gutter. So when we let the clear interpret the unclear, we stay out of the gutter of doctrinal and practical error. So make a mental note of this text because this one is crystal clear. And Paul knows it. That's why he begins verse 2 with, by saying, look. It's his way of saying, hey, listen, you, <clears throat> you can't afford to miss what I'm about to say. So if you're dozing, wake up. If you're kicked back, sit up. If you're chit-chatting, stop it. You have to hear this. If you accept circumcision, he says, Christ will be no advantage to you. He's saying in no uncertain terms that you can either have law or grace, faith or works, circumcision or Christ, but you cannot have it both ways. In 21st century America, circumcision is typically a health decision, but that was not the case in 1st century Galatia. They were receiving circumcision because they thought it was necessary for salvation. And that belief is utterly opposed to the gospel. So Paul says, essentially, if you're relying on yourself, then you're not relying on Jesus. If you're doing the work, then Christ is not. It's all or nothing, and it's that simple. So if you rely on your obedience, your good works, your church attendance, your baptism, your family line, or your moral superiority to your neighbors, in other words, if you rely on you, then you get no benefit from Christ whatsoever. No grace, no sonship, no inheritance, and no freedom. Apart from faith alone in Jesus Christ, you are enslaved to the law. Paul says you were obligated to keep the whole law. And that word obligated means indebted. If you were trusting in your own works, then you owe a debt that you cannot pay. You were obligated to keep the whole law, all of it, 
all the time without a single failure ever. So how are you doing with that? Not so good, right? And that's why we need Jesus. You can't buy salvation. It's not for sale. You cannot work your way into God's good graces. But, I love this text. But now, this is from Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, it's been revealed, it's been made known apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is a way for sinners to be righteous, to become righteous. Righteousness is available apart from law keeping. It's available to those who have broken the law. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as one who satisfies wrath by his blood to be received by faith. So there is only one way for you to be reconciled to God, and it is not through your works. It's simply through trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ, one, lived in your place, obeying God's law for you. Two, that he died in your place, receiving the punishment for your sins, and in so doing, three, paid for your reconciliation with God in full. Jesus paid it all. He did it. He purchased and he secured salvation for all who trust in him do you want to be saved do you want freedom from bondage to the law do you want to be adopted into the family of God do you want to be a son of God be justified by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ otherwise Paul says you are severed from Christ you who will be justified by the law. You are cut off. You're, you're separated from him. You have no relationship with him. You are on your own. And why are the Galatians on their own? Why are they severed from Christ? Because they have, quote, fallen away from grace. Now, Paul is not saying that some who were saved have become unsaved. The word fall carries the sense of drifting off course or running aground like a ship. And isn't that the perfect description of the Galatians? The churches of Galatia were founded on the gospel of God's free grace through faith in Jesus. But now they're adrift. They're running ashore. Their teaching has drifted away from the grace of God in Christ. And as a result... Some who once professed faith in Christ are now buying the Judaizers false teaching of justification by faith plus works. Their confidence has drifted from Christ to themselves, and there's no hope there. But there is hope. In verse 6, 
Paul tells the Galatians that through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Notice that righteousness is not something we earn. It's something we receive. It's a gift. We're waiting for it. And we receive it through the Spirit, he says, by faith. So what is the hope of righteousness? Charles Spurgeon says it beautifully. He says this, Our hope is the hope of righteousness. That is to say, a hope arising out of the fact that we are righteous and therefore God will treat us as such. Isn't that awesome? We are righteous. We have been given righteousness. And so God will treat us that way in the future. And notice that we wait for this hope. We do not work for this hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything at all. See, the Judaizers weren't into waiting or receiving. They were into working and earning. And Paul says, hey, all of your working is useless. It's utterly ineffective. It gains you no ground. It counts for nothing at all. And then he notes that there is a kind of working that is valuable, and it's this, faith working through love. And so you say, wait a minute now, Paul just spent two and a half chapters saying that we're saved by faith alone, and he's been all over the Judaizers for adding works to faith. And now Paul says that faith working through love is valuable? Aren't we just splitting hairs here? Not at all. There are two massive distinctions. First, there's a massive difference in motivation. For the Judaizers, obedience earns favor with God. For Paul, obedience evidences favor with God. Notice it's faith working through love. Saving faith is already present. Working through love flows from that. Second, there's a massive difference in the material. The Judaizers are laser-focused on the externals of the law. They want a solid religious showing, just like the Pharisees. If you remember the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked were attempting to exploit some, quote, letter of the law loophole to avoid taking care of their aging parents. Paul's not into this sort of self-seeking. He's concerned not with the externals of the law. In fact, he's not concerned with the law at all. He's concerned with love. So while we are justified by faith alone, the faith that justifies is never alone. I haven't figured out where that quote originated, but it's so wonderfully clarifying. And we'll come back to that in a moment. For now, let's turn our attention to verses 7 through 12. In the first six verses of Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the hopelessness of justification by faith plus works with the hope of the gospel. Now in verses 7 through 12, Paul runs through a string of personal asides that expose the people who've been deceiving them. As does Paul, we'll move through each of these pretty quickly. In verse 7, Paul identifies the Judaizers as a hindrance. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
The Judaizers were leading the Galatians away from the truth. Like the Pharisees, they were blind guides. And as such, their so-called gospel is not from God. We know from Galatians 4.17 that the Judaizers are smooth talkers who can put on a good show. So in verse 8, Paul tells them that this persuasion is not from him who calls you. There's no doubt that this deception ultimately came from Satan, whom Martin Luther said is able to, quote, impress such an obvious and shameful lie on the heart that you would swear a thousand times that it is the most certain truth. So Paul warns them that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You don't have to let the fires of false teaching burn very long before it destroys a congregation. But in spite of the fact that some of the Galatians had gone astray, Paul had confidence in the Lord that at least some of the Galatians had genuine saving faith. And notice in his comment that I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view is not rooted in Paul's ability to reverse the situation. His confidence is in the Lord. He knows that God loves his church, that God will save his people, and that God will punish those who are trying to deceive his people. Indeed, for such a one, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. In verse 10, Paul addresses the particularly absurd accusation that Paul had actually been preaching circumcision. <laughs> Presumably their argument was either that at some point Paul, after Paul left Galatia, he came around to the Judaizers' understanding of circumcision, or that Paul preached out of both sides of his mouth regarding circumcision, presumably tailoring his message to his own advantage. For example, uh, perhaps they would have accused Paul of preaching circumcision to the Jews who were into that sort of thing, and uncircumcision to the Gentiles who were into that sort of thing. But Paul says, are you kidding me? If I still preach circumcision, why are the Judaizers still persecuting me? Had Paul been preaching circumcision, the Judaizers would have had no problem at all with Paul because the offense of the cross would have been removed. And then Paul expresses his wishes for the Judaizers. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And this verse is every bit as graphic as it sounds. The word emasculate means castrate. According to the law, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, a eunuch had no place among the people of God. He was an outsider. So Paul is saying, hey, why stop with a small cut when a big one would show who you really are, a person with no place among the people of God? Now, before we transition to verses 13 to 15, Let's make two quick observations about the imprecatory nature of Paul's comments here in verses 7 through 12. Paul's intense here. He's hot. So a couple of notes. <clears throat> One, notice that Paul's anger is not rooted in some personal offense. He doesn't have his feelings hurt. It's not that. His anger is rooted in love for God and his church. Two, 
Note that Paul, as an apostle, had wisdom and discernment that we don't, so I wouldn't make these your new life verses. Now, verses 13 to 15, Paul begins his transition from doctrinal instruction to practical instruction, from right belief to right practice, from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. In verse 13, I'm struck by the shift in Paul's tone. The same Paul who was incredibly pointed in his rebuke of the Judaizers, who as wolves were ravaging the flock of God in Galatia, is so tender in his reminder to the Galatians. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Again, Paul's confidence that there are brothers in the Galatian churches is not anchored in Paul's abilities, but in God's. And so he addresses them as his brothers. There's a tenderness there. There's an affection there. He was angry with the wolves. He was tender with the sheep. And you'll notice that verse 13 echoes verse 1. Paul says, you were called to freedom. But notice in verse 1 that Paul's affirmation of their freedom in Christ sets up his plea for them to stand firm in the gospel. He wants them to not live as slaves, but as sons of God by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. In verse 1, that's why he tells them that for freedom, Christ has set us free. But in Galatians 5.13, his reminder to them of their freedom in Christ sets up his plea for them to love one another. He says, quote, You were called to freedom, brothers. You were free. Free from what? Free from the law. Free from slavery to the law. You're out. You don't have to keep the whole law. That burden has been lifted. Jesus obeyed the law, and he credited his righteousness to you. And Jesus died on the cross, and he credited your sin to himself. So if you are in Christ, you are free from the law. And through faith in Jesus, you're a son of God. You're in right relationship with your father. Now, virtually every five-year-old on the planet has one thing in common. He wants to be just like his dad. And many of them will ask questions to that end. Boys will say, Dad, when I grow up, am I going to be big like you? When I grow up, will I drive a car like you? Will I have a job like you? Will I be married like you? Will I be good at such and such like you? See, for most young boys, when they look at their dads, they see greatness and they see all that they hope to be. And our motivation to love one another works in much the same way. Did Christ free us so that we can do whatever we want? No. Christ freed us so that we can do what we ought, what what we were created for. He freed us to work for the good of others. He freed us to serve one another through love. He freed us to be like him. In Jesus, you are free to love others the way God loves you. And that was the heart of the law, wasn't it? 
the law was never about religious showmanship and external religiosity. Quoting Leviticus 19.18, which Jesus quoted in Matthew 19, Paul reminds us that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. And the Judaizers completely missed that. And so Paul wants the Galatians to know that loving your neighbor is the fruit, not the root of salvation. It's the evidence of saving faith. It's not the box you check to earn God's acceptance. It's about faith working through love. Saving faith in Christ produces sacrificial love that mirrors Christ's love for his people. That's why the church is such a sweet place to be. And it's obvious that instead of faith working through love, the fruit of the Judaizers teaching was selfishness and devastation. Driven by their own sinful desires, they behaved more like wild animals, biting and devouring one another than image bearers. And legalism always goes there. It always goes there. But brothers and sisters, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for grace. God, we praise you for the grace of sonship, the grace of adoption. In Christ, we are your children. We are real children of yours. And so, Lord, guard us from slave mentality that tries to earn favor, earn acceptance, earn inheritance. That's not what it means to be a son at all. And so, Lord, protect us from that. Have us rest in Christ. Lord, I pray that, um, that our faith um, that saves us will not be alone. Lord, we know that the work of your Spirit is to grant saving faith that then produces love, that leads to love. God, I thank you that our church is marked by love. It is such a blessing. I thank you for the sweetness of being in this congregation. God, I pray that you uh, will grow our love for each other more and more and more and more. Um, I pray that as the years go by, um, we are known as people who outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, that there is a others focus, a gladness and sacrifice that is unending. And Lord, we need you for that. Um, so Lord, we love you. We praise you for your word. Uh, and we praise you for your faithfulness to us in Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.